0: Greetings, and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard, and I am joined by my colleague, uh, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is old, excuse me, veteran Associated Press photographer, Rich Pedroncelli. Uh, Rich, thank you very much for coming today. We just uh, wanted to walk down uh, memory lane a little bit, if that's okay. I thought we
1: just run down it and get it over with it real Maybe. quick, you know. <laughs> uh,
0: if you've seen photos out of Sacramento uh, in national and state public anywhere, uh, you've probably seen the credit line, Rich Pedroncelli. It's almost uh, it goes with the photos almost without saying. Uh, Rich, you covered governors, campaigns, environmental stuff, hard news, um, but you're retired now. You're, you've entered the geezer club now. So, so. <laughs> You're just retired. you just retired, yeah. yeah. Um, so first of all, what's it like being just retired?
1: Well, it's only been a few days, but I have started cleaning out my sock drawer. I will eventually progress to the garage and things like that. Yeah. You know, all the old things, the listings that they say old guys who retire are supposed okay. to do, clean the gutters. Oh, I did that today, too, so, you know, in preparation for the rain. So, it's uh, it's different. I'm not being controlled by the clock anymore.
0: Are you running around with your camera still, like, with family photos or going out and doing stuff, you know? Um <laughs>
1: There are cameras in the car. (laughs) There's still cameras, just in case. Just, just in case. I just the whole thought of still coming across something and not taking a picture just is too foreign to me.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, when I think of you, I always think of, uh, in fact, the other photographers, but also especially you. I always think if you have at least two cameras around your neck. Sometimes I think there were three. There are a couple cameras with long lenses, and there was one at the side without a lens uh, that you could switch out real quick. Why? Why so many cameras? What do you need?
1: Well, usually, I carry usually two cameras. And one would have uh, a short-range lens, like a, a my favorite was a 16 to 35 millimeter zoom. Uh, this way, when you're in the capital, so much stuff that is, that is close quarters. Um, if you see somebody and you want to jump out and, and photograph them, somebody else might see it. And, yeah. you know, if you're in a scrum with a bunch of other TV cameras and, and reporters and stuff like that, well, you have to kind of get close to be able to see your subject, but if you're that close, you still have to have a wide angle to shoot it, so you always, always that. And then the other camera would usually be carrying a 70 to 200 millimeter zoom. Covering mm-hmm. the, the chambers themselves, the assembly and Senate chambers, I'd usually also have a 300 millimeter uh, yeah. to it, which would be a, a, a longer lens to get across to the side of the room. And this is all digital, right? Uh, well, this about, is there's no film anymore. Is well, no, no film anymore, but that's pretty much the standard equipment that we used for Wow. (laughs) A long time. Originally, you just had fixed length lenses and you'd carry a bag full of two bodies and a bag full of lenses. You know, you have to keep changing from a 24 to a 135 to an 85 to a 180 or whatever like that, you know, to get the, the range that you wanted. So it's lightened up and it hasn't because some of the digital cameras or mirrorless cameras is what we're using now are, are heavy. And the lenses are heavy, so we really haven't reduced the weight so much.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I um, this shows how long I've been at the AP. <laughs> many, many years ago at the AP, I remember having to cover. Actually, I volunteered covering the uh, Angels Camp, the Frog Jump at uh, Angels Camp.
1: <laughs> yes, I did
0: that too. And uh, you know, and the photos would go everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and it was always somebody pounding the thing, the stage behind some poor little frog that tried to that didn't go anywhere. Actually, jump, you know, beat everybody else. But the thing I remember about it was. Um, The photographer, I think it was Walt I went down there mostly with, brought down his own darkroom in his trunk. Oh, yeah. Checked in at a motel, Mm -hmm. um, souped Mm -hmm. his film, this all film, and then raced back to to, uh, the Sacramento Bureau to print it. So, this is like a hectic schedule for him, whereas for me, it was like totally just nothing but fun Mm -hmm. and sunshine, you know? Well, yeah,
1: we used to carry portable darkrooms, and then we had uh, portable transmitters. Uh, so if you could find a place to, uh, 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 just any dark room, some room you could darken down, yeah. then, uh, even if you didn't really have running water, you found ways to kind of wash your film for a second and dry it and make a quick print. And then you'd hook up a portable transmitter and this stuff all was packed in your car. You know, if you remember the Stolpis, I do movie, okay, very well. Yeah. I had, I had a portable dark room there and, you know, I had set it up in the motel bathroom. And then when we went up to the... The hospital where they were at, when we came back, that's exactly where I went. Processed film, made a print, put them out. So how long ago did that stop? Let's see. We went to digital. We were able to get away from prints uh, back in the early 90s, early 80s, early 90s, where we started, we could develop the film, but then we'd scan them into a computer.
0: And then we were able to transmit them easier, a little bit faster. I remember a demonstration they did where uh, for the first time they shot, they used digital a quote, shoot the super bowl mm-hmm. they shot the super bowl and they got the image out on the wire in a space of a few minutes oh it yeah it's pretty amazing yeah i Man. mean
1: the i mean the fastest i ever got a print out from the time i walked into the office to the time i put it on the drum to start sending it was 13 minutes and that meant processing film making a print writing a caption and going and I can't remember what it was, but it was 13 minutes, where normally the processing time alone would have been about 20 minutes. You know, wow. you went back in, you, you got it processed, you you ran it through the developer, then you put it in the fix, and you didn't put it in the fix for only a couple of minutes, and you ran it through a, through a quick yeah. wash, and then went, after you made the print, you went back and tried to save the negative.
0: If you, you shoot if you shoot a picture, say on the floor of the Senate, <laughs> uh, are you able to send it from your camera? to wherever you you need to send or even post it? Or, I mean, like the way you do, with, say, with an iPhone, like Tim's got the iPhone, mm-hmm. and you can have a photo on it, and you can share it or send it or message mm-hmm. it. Can you do the same with the camera?
1: We can now, yeah. I didn't really do that. I didn't need to. Uh, but, I mean, I could send it now to my cam- my phone and send off a raw capt- picture to New York or to somebody else, and they can finish the caption off. Yeah. Uh, now, for example, uh, when I... When we used to shoot the Kings games using film, uh, you'd shoot the first quarter, you'd come back in, you'd process your film, make a print, caption it, get it out on the wire, and then you'd go back out and you shoot the fourth quarter. Okay. That t- it would take that long. Now, well, when I would shoot them, I would shoot the first quarter, go in, put out seven or eight pictures, you know, then cover the whole second half. If I wanted to go a little bit early i'd I'd go in at the end of the before the end of the second quarter, so i can I would end up putting twenty twenty five pictures out per night uh, of did you trip. have
0: basically a dark not a dark room but the equivalent on the floor yeah right, off the oh, floor
1: well we, we do in off the floor yeah they have uh, okay the arenas uh have space for uh, the media to yeah. do that kind of stuff yeah. yeah
0: you didn't have to come back to the office yeah no um,
2: now, a rumor I heard is that. When the Kings were possibly going to leave Sacramento, you know, Seattle was making a lot of noise about trying to bring them up there. Uh, And there was a it seemed like a real possibility that the Kings would go. The rumor I heard is that basically all the photographers in town would be out of out of work because who's who's going to pay for them? No, no. You
1: know, the B photographers were not going to be out of a job. I wasn't going to be out of a job. Uh, you know, maybe the TV crews because a lot of the TV crew people that did the in-house TV and for broadcast uh, you know, worked under contracts or freelance. So that might have happened for them, but not still photographers, okay. or at least not for for us the beer the uh, our our AP. I mean, we I had plenty of other things to cover other than the king. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, the king.
0: When you go, but thinking about that, when you go, uh, they can move another photographer in a young guy, maybe in his early twenties.
2: <laughs> or young young lady yeah.
0: or young
1: lady Yeah, I, I have no idea what they're going to do uh, I hope that they don't leave it empty I think California is too important uh, that's what I always felt about it is that you know I got of asked anyway i try to finish with that here I think it's too important to leave empty you know that there's too much California fourth our fifth or sixth largest economy in the, wor- in the world. Yeah. We put out legislation every year that affects the rest of the country. Uh, I mean, a, a, a governor for California is almost an automatic consideration pre- of not the president's spot, the vice president's spot. We hear that now, even though, you know, Governor uh, Newsom has you know, said he's not doing it. You know, who knows?
2: Not like John believes it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I hope they don't. Uh, there, several years ago, I don't know, you might have still been there, John, but a person came from human resources and, and talked to all of us individually about our career goals and stuff like that. And then I met with her and she said, well, you know, you've been here for a while. Uh, have, have you ever thought about, you know, promoting? And, well, promoting, what do you mean? Well, you know, maybe become a photo editor. no. No, no, I'm not a photo editor. I'm a photographer. I that, like what he do you do? You got to so, remember,
0: AP is a New York-based company. Yeah. And careerism in Washington D.C. and in New York is exceptionally high. So if they've got a staffer and who's asked by a New York-based person, hey, uh, what do you want to do in the future? You want to get promoted, and you don't want to be promoted. Yeah. They look at you very suspiciously. Well, that was it. She then said, "Well, well, you know, wouldn't you like to go to Washington?
1: You know, wouldn't you go to Washington?" <laughs> I said, "Well." no because i'd actually shot several freelance jobs uh in washington uh cal journal uh remember the, remember california journal? Sure, yeah. um they sent me back several times to do photos of different stuff yeah and uh, you know it's a, a wonderful city i like it everything i just couldn't live there yeah. you know uh then she said well you know uh but she kind of stumped by all of this, and i finally said you know the, the thing you need to understand is i like where i'm at i like what i'm covering i'm getting to cover the things i enjoy I said, and every day I can come in and I'm going to try to make a better picture than I did yesterday. And then tomorrow I'm going to try and make a better picture than I did today. I might not always be successful, but I'm going to try. And that's my goal. Yeah, kind, sure. of, yeah. kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Doug,
0: Doug Willis saw me one time. Uh,
1: now, hold
2: on, John. So I gotta, I, I should clarify for the people that are listening. Uh, you and Rich worked together at the AP yeah. for decades. Yeah. So if, if you're wondering why there's so much, a, so much familiarity here, yeah. it's because they were frickin' frack of the Sacramento <laughs> yeah. Bureau for, yeah, for a long time. I'll tell you all about
0: later. After yeah. the podcast, I'll tell you all about But anyway, but uh, you
2: can go back to your story about Doug Willis. Uh,
0: our former correspondent, Doug Willis, told me one time, uh, cause they're always, he did a lot of national campaign stuff, yeah. at least the Western legs of it. And they always asked him to come back to D.C. He would cover... It, it couldn't experience, they couldn't conceive of anybody who wanted to do politics not wanting to go to D.C. Oh, and, and Doug said, I always regarded that as a threat. <laughs> <laughs> and he never he never did go back there, you
1: know. Well, you know, one of the great ironies is um, Walt Zbosky, who's basically helped me get, get in the profession yeah. and whose job I eventually take after he you know, retired, um, he had covered Reagan... You know, when Reagan was governor here. And then when Reagan ran in 1980, they put Walt out on the campaign. Uh, another camp person who was on that campaign was a guy named Ron Edmonds. He was the UPI photographer here. Oh, sure, governor, yeah. And had some familiarity with Reagan, not as much as Walt. And so uh, after the election, Reagan gets elected. AP asked Walt if uh, he would like to come to Washington and cover Reagan in the White House. And Walt said, you know, I'd already been here for 20 years. We had our house and all this. He said, I just didn't didn't want to so they offered the job to ron and ron took it and so on his first day on the white house beat they went to this hotel where reagan was speaking and the the media was outside the back door where they're supposed to be and all that reagan walks out says hi to the press waves around ron had gone to another position and reagan got shot ron got the pulitzer prize for the shooting of Reagan. You wow. know? So it's like. And the what? rest is. So it's, it's like, wow,
0: you know. Well, if the, the public only knew. Yeah.
2: You know, and that's actually uh, Rob Gunnison, former UPI hero oh, yeah. yeah, chief, yeah. I think. He loves that story that the UPA guy, UPI guy, the second he leaves the UPI, then gets to Pulitzer yeah. Yeah. for the for the other. Uh,
0: <laughs> timing is everything. Yeah. And it, photography it, as well as politics.
1: Yeah, really. So. Is. Well, there's, a, there's the the other good story about Walt in, in Salvador. You remember Sal? Yeah. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 1970. For the return of a POW uh, Vietnamese, who was being captured by the Vietnamese sure. yeah. and he came back to Travis. Well, Walt and Sal used to go and cover that together, and they'd flip a coin to see who was going to go out and shoot that day and who was going to be in the dark room. That day Sal Sal won the, the, the toss. And uh, family come. The, the guy gets off the plane, his family rushes to him, and he gets his great picture and it wins a Pulitzer. And so it was Walt who had processed the film and picked the picture, (laughs) you know. So they always said in a way Walt should share on it too, but it's not the way it always works,
0: Yeah, you know. I know Sal always mentioned that, you know, know, Walt helping and stuff. But God, timing, like I said, timing is everything. It really is.
2: So speaking of timing, how did you, you said Walt helped you get involved in this. How did you get started in this? And, uh, you know. What tricks of the trade do you have to tell the the in- aspiring photographers like how you how you get into this business? Well, now you
1: couldn't have done it the way I did. It just it just was not going to happen. Different world. Uh, it's yeah. a whole different different world. Um, I'll try to make this brief. Uh, it, there's a certain. There's actually three people involved in a particular day in 1978, June 29th, 1978. That uh, unbeknownst to them, there it's their fault. And the first one actually starts at Jerry Brown, and that. Um, I had gotten out of college. I had, did not have a portfolio really to show, uh, uh, for, show prospective employers. Um, so I started seeing for days, you know, all these demonstrations about the, about this, a stalled budget and state employees striking all this. And then it's one day, the 29th, ninth, uh, Jerry was gonna, Governor Brown was going to be speaking in front of the, the the crowd. So I thought, well, okay, I'll go out there and try to get a picture. And I, I think somewhere I might find the film that shows this little tiny head way in the background. And you know, yeah, there's there's Brown because I couldn't get close. All right. So then I was watching and noticed that all the photographers had kind of round, gone around to the back of the Capitol building, and um, I. Uh, Kind of followed them there and found out that, you know, and then the uh, chambers were in, the the, the capitol was being refurbished, and so the house chambers were now in these two large portable buildings behind the annex. And so when the legislature legislators went to go in that day, uh, all the photographers went to the back door and ran up, but they showed the sergeant of arms their pass to get in. Now I didn't have a pass. <laughs> I was trying to think to myself, well, how am I going to do this? Uh, well, I got. One idea. So I, I went up to the top of the steps, and I ran down, and I had to turn a corner, and I turned around this corner, and this sergeant, and then he had to climb up some temporary steps to go in the back. I ran around the corner, and I see him about to close the door. I go, have they started yet? Has it started? He goes, oh, no, you better get in there. And he opens the door for me and lets me in. He doesn't <laughs> check my ID. So there's the second
0: What part. a sneaky little puppy you are. It's worked <laughs> over the years. <laughs> and then so finally I'm
1: in there and I happened to, uh, there was these photographers there on talking. I ended up standing next to Walt Sabosky and another uh, photographer, Lee Harland-Smith, and they were talking and um, suddenly uh, Walt said something to me about, you know, uh, uh, you know, I have to ask my name, introduced himself and all this. They said, well, who do you work for? I said, well, uh, you know, this. then he goes, "Where's your credential? Don't you have a credential?" I said, "Well, no." I kind of snuck in, and he looked. He goes, "That's pretty good." <laughs> he goes, that's that's pretty good. He said. So we talked a little bit, and he said, "Well, you know." Afterwards, he said, "Well, you know, if you want to drop by the office and see how we do things, come on by." So I said, "Sure, okay." So I went over, and uh, uh, he said, "Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you, you know." process some film and you know so i process some filming showing how everything was done i realized at that moment that i had no clue what was going on in this business because the way i'd been taught in school the way it was being done real in real life were, were just miles apart and uh he printed this picture of jerry brown in fact i found that picture not, not too long ago in the archives you know it was oh, kind, wow, of, cool. it was kind of cool. that's why i know the date exactly and um he just said well you know if you want to you know, come ever back again, and you know, be happy to show stuff. I was there almost every day. I mean, literally almost every day. I was processing film. I was making his prints. So I was helping write captions. And how old were you was, at this point? Twenty-one. Just I just gotten out of college. Did, Did you live 21. up there? No, I lived. I lived in, here in Sacramento. And yeah. where now? In Sacramento. In yeah. Sacramento. So yeah. you were
0: commuting each. From from where? Wasn't this up in Grass Valley? No,
1: no, 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 no. Uh, Grass, I, I worked, uh, did freelance work for two years. Oh, down here. Down here before
0: I got the job in Grass Valley. Yeah. Wow. So it's, uh, it's. And the rest (laughs) is history, as they
1: say. As they say, you know, so. I don't
0: know if it was your desk or, uh, LA Photos, but I remember somebody had a plaque that said, why do AP photographers take 10 pictures? And the answer was, in case the first nine come out right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. That's, that's another and thing. And these are the
0: shooters that said that. Oh, yeah, know. we
1: always do that. Yeah.
0: You know? uh, Rich, one thing. Uh, well, actually, two questions. One, what about iPhone photos? I use iPhone all the time now. I just, I love them. So what do you think? What's a pro think of iPhone photography?
1: I think, the first of all, the bottom line is you, you have to get a picture. And in the end, it really should not matter if the only instrument you have is an iPhone, as long as you get a picture of what's happening, if, uh, you know, um, the only problem is uh, <laughs> several of them quality isn't all that good. It's getting better. Uh, people are incredibly rude about taking iPhone pictures. I mean, people talk about us, but we have a certain code about how we deal, you know. People think nothing of walking and stepping in front of you to take a picture. People think nothing of putting their phone in front of your camera because they think, oh, well, if that's, that's where he's shooting, I'll, I, I better put my phone there. You know, and a lot of times they don't realize this is our job. And this is, you know, there are repercussions if you come back without pictures or good pictures. And for a lot of these people, this is just, you know, they're having fun you know, or they want to take a selfie and they, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to say because you don't want to criticize for somebody to want to record a moment. But on the other hand, you just said, look, it doesn't have to be that way, you know? And, and I hear people say, well, you guys do it. You guys do this. You guys, well, maybe I live in an isolated world, but here in Sacramento, we've always had a really good code of ethics between all the people with cameras, you know, TV still, we've always had, you know, understanding, you know, you do it to me today. Great. I can get you back tomorrow. So let's not even get play that game, you know.
0: Hey, if I were to buy a photo uh, camera, what would you recommend that I buy? Con- considering the fact that I'm cheap. Well, well yeah, I want- I've done that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I want-, want good equipment. I mean, is there a balance for a non-professional photographer? So is there any, do you have any recommendations for something like that? A, a good camera, but not something that's going to cost more than my, Annual my monthly mortgage.
1: Um, You know, first of all, all the major companies uh, make good cameras. I mean, Canon, Nikon, we're using Sony. Sony's. I mean, these are all really top flight cameras. So, any one you buy is going to be good. And you you have to decide you know, how much you want to spend. You can spend a fortune or you can spend a moderate amount. You can go to, go to like Costco or some of these other stores and buy their little kits. They have decent little cameras that have maybe a a 20 millimeter, 55, 20 to 55 zoom and a 70 to 300 uh, zoom. And, you know, they're going to cost you $1200. It's not a bad investment for decent equipment it's not your top flight stuff but it's not going to break your bank and then if you realize and think that you'd like to get more involved well then you could advance but if you drop a load of money and then after six months those things are sitting in the closet well, that that's kind of harsh and you know uh, i just try to warn people that you have to look for things like uh, how the camera fits in your hands the ease of use and stuff like that like the The ergonomics of a camera—it sounds strange—are really important because the camera has to feel comfortable in your hands. How its controls work, and how you can make your adjustments, and things like that. But it's not even—it's not so much just the camera. They need to people need to learn how to use the instrument. And what I mean is too many people want to put their camera on P for program or A, automatic, you know, and take their pictures. Okay. You're,
2: you're giving away my secrets, yeah, Rich.
1: Well, well, fine. I mean, if you're getting the results you want, okay, great. On the other hand, if things aren't working out, and I've had people show me their pictures and ask me, you know, well, how come mine don't look like yours? And I say, well, I'll ask, well, what ISO did you have it on? What's that? What's your F-stop? I don't know what's that. All these questions—it's like you, you. There's a a three a, a three part to exposure, which is the key to your pictures, and that's the ISO, the f-stop, and the shutter speed. Now, ISO is your film speed, and the higher the number, the faster the film. Okay, uh, then the f-stop controls how much light is being let in through the lens, and that controls things like depth of field. And then your shutter speed—if you need a shutter speed, usually. For most people to start with, or they should never go below one twenty fifth of a second, one one twenty fifth of a second, uh, on up. Well, that helps eliminate blur, you know, faster shutter speed is stops people movement, stops your movement, things like that. So if they know how to control those three features to make them work together, that is going to help your pictures hundred percent, you know, instead of just pointing and hoping, you know.
0: Great. Rich Pedroncelli, thank you so much. I think our listeners thank you a lot, too, because now they're going to learn how to take better pictures. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun working with you over the years, Rich, and this was a lot of fun talking to you, too. Oh, we never even really got up to the stopa story. I know. And, you well, know. We well, we're going to do a part two of this. <laughs> uh, crazy Adventures of Rich Pedroncelli and the Stolpas, I remember really well. Well,
1: you should, because yeah. we almost froze to death up there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so wait, so you can't Okay, you can't tease that and not tell the story, so you got to tell the story real fast. So what's well, okay?
0: So we go up to, uh, the Scopas was a couple that tried to get out of California, get back home to uh, Utah, Oh, Idaho. And they had tried everything. They tried going north on, they were in, in, uh, this area, but they tried going north on five to 299. They got stuck. They tried going south to, uh, whatever goes across that way. They got stuck. They tried taking 50. No, nope, didn't work. So they finally went up. Across 299 to Alturas, and from there, about 30 miles away, was a town called Cedarville, which was right out of the 1930s. I remember we hung out there a little bit. (laughs) They got stuck in uh, Nevada somewhere. They got by the snow, and they got brought back to Cedarville to the hospital. The main hospital official there was a woman I remember in a black... When an over, a jacket, boots, she had been sent to medical school and had gone to college, paid for by the union in San Francisco that... Uh, Longshoremen. Bridges, Longshoremen. The Longshoremen. Yeah. Knew. And believe me, she didn't mess around. Yeah, so nice the lady. media came up to get pictures of it. The, and there everybody was covering this. The host, She would appear outside and basically direct everybody to do anything she wanted. And there was, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I mean, she spanked the media to death. And they did everything she wanted. So the story was, uh, some people who will remain nameless call them the stupid Stolpas. I don't know who that would be. But going across in an unknown territory with a child, by the way. And one of them, I think, got... Frostbite, I think the guy yeah. got frostbite on his toes.
1: Well, you know the other thing you need to remember is that they had disappeared for several days. Yeah. yeah, they thought these people were gone. They thought they'd find them, their frozen bodies. You know, when they thawed out this kind of thing, and to find out that the husband had actually walked out yeah. and got out, got help was something else. And, and this was what year? This was like early nineties.
0: This was. Uh... Well, I don't know. It would have been nineties, mid nineties, at least mid nineties, yeah. I think.
1: Um, yeah. They, they found him and we got called. I remember, you know, they said at first they wanted us to fly to Susanville and rent a car. Well, there's this big storm going on. Now I like to fly, but I wasn't going to be a hood ornament to a mountain. You know, that's, I mean, that's literally what I said. And, and so finally he said, okay, you and John rent a, rent a four wheel drive and drive up there and all this. We left like at five o'clock in the afternoon. We didn't get to alturas till like two in the morning yeah, it, it just it snowed the whole way we couldn't see you know the the front of the, the the front of the car because it was snowing so hard the windshield wipers were freezing up we'd have to stop every so often to wipe them down there was oh, a little wow. little little stop it go gas place that we we found it was about 12 30 or not they had a, a form of coffee and all I could say, it was hot.
0: <laughs> we but the high point of the trip was when we went to the motel and got a room, I remember getting uh, or using Rich's credit card. So, hey, this was like... <laughs> I also got
1: the room that didn't have... The heater didn't work yet. Oh. So I laid there for like three hours because we got there at two, and we got up like at five to try to get out to Cedar Falls. And I laid there for like three hours. Shivering. You know, it's funny
0: how things come back to me. We were going north on uh, 395, and... There was a car in front of us, I think it was a Ford Escort from the Oakland Tribune, uh-huh. and it was in front of a little thing, you know, two-wheel drive, it, it was like skating on ice, it was just going up, yeah. you know, and out of, we're in a four-wheel drive, and out of one side, an access road to 395, came a guy on a motorcycle with his vest... I don't know how cold it was, but this guy was clearly a I don't know, Hell's Angel or motorcycle. Yeah. I mean chopped bike and stuff and he gets in front of us and zoom he goes on. I thought he's gonna be dead in thirty seconds, but we never saw him again. Yeah. You, you
1: know. Maybe he's frozen up there, hoping to find his yeah. motorcycle someplace. You gotta be tough to live up there. Oh absolutely. Uh,
0: so the stompers they the, the The man was,
1: uh, frostbitten. The, the woman and the kid were okay. Yeah. They got him. They brought him back to the hospital. Uh, we got pictures of them being put into the ambulance to be driven down to Reno, things like that. Yeah. It's just, it was an incredible story, but I, I do remember we were driving up there and I finally turned to John and said, well, how do you feel for driving to a made for TV movie? And sure enough, about four or five years later, there's a made for TV movie about this, you know. It's just like it had all the all the earmark. Who played Rich and John, uh, the intrepid reporters? A, that was our suggestion. That's right? what we we kept, kept wondering about, you know. Yeah. So it, I I heard Cheech and Chong weren't available, so that's why <laughs> <laughs> we weren't mentioned. You
0: know? Okay, next time we're gonna do part two of funny stories that Rich has covered. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Rich, again, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. me. And it's yeah, it's been nice a good... Of course. Uh, to,
1: to, 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 to paraphrase two of my favorite musical artists, after 40 years, to according to Jimmy Buffett, uh, Good Times and Riches is the son of a bitches. I've seen more than I can recall. <laughs> and then my other, Jerry Garcia... It's been a long, strange trip with my friend. How
0: about still crazy after all these years? Still crazy. That was good. That one will work, too. So anyway. Rich Pedroncelli, thank you very much for chatting with us. And now we move on to our favorite feature, Who Had the Worst Week in California Politics? The Worst Week. Worst Week. Worst Week. Well, as usual, this is kind of a potpourri, but uh, Tim and I were talking about this earlier. It seems to be that health officials, especially hospital officials lately, uh, have had a really bad week, and I think they're probably going to be in for a couple more bad weeks because of the COVID, because of the pandemic. Hospital, um, people in hospitals, admitted to hospitals with the infection are 75% more now than they were just two weeks ago. There's a surge of infections. Overall, across the state, Infections are up about 8% statewide. We've already lost about 97,000 people. 11.2 million people have been, uh, have been diagnosed with it at some point during the cost of the pandemic. So handling this new influx, this new surge, most of which are the Omicron uh, variant and some sub variants of that of Omicron are accounting for most of the new infections, as I understand it. So COVID is back. Masking apparently may come back. Right, Tim? I mean, we're hearing L.A. and
2: What I saw, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, So this can't be good. We thought we might be out of this, and apparently we're not. And at least right now. It's been a roller coaster ride, but right now it seems like the roller coaster is going back up. So, I don't know. Tim, what do you think? You know, from personal experience, I could say that my own COVID diagnosis
2: was 100% up. (laughs) A few weeks ago, in that I had managed to dodge this for all this time, and then a few weeks ago, I finally came down and was, was sick. I had a mild case. Yeah. But, uh. How, how
0: long do you think it lasts? I mean.
2: You know, uh. I think overall I felt off for about maybe a week, ten days. But I did get uh, Paxlovid. I, I waited a couple of days. I was foolish. I didn't. I didn't realize you could go out and get it. I thought it was still kind of a little harder to get. But apparently not. So after after a couple of days, after I tested positive and felt terrible, I did get Paxlovid, and that I don't know that it made it.
0: What's that entail? What what what's involved in that?
2: So Paxlovid, if you have not taken it, it is tablet form, and you take it twice a day, and it leaves a terrible taste in your mouth. But um, other than that, I didn't really notice anything particularly one way or another. Uh, it didn't immediately, you know, turn my COVID off, but it and uh, it. Probably made it better in any case. But I think from the time I first had any symptoms to the time I really felt fine, it was probably 10 days. But yeah, really, I had a couple of days where I felt pretty awful. Mm-hmm. I had brain fogs, real sore throat, uh, and I was congested. I
0: hacking up a lot of horrible stuff. You were telling me too but, earlier, you, you talked, uh, spoke with a doctor who had mentioned, who's familiar with COVID cases, and he's treated people. And he says, by far, the people who do the worst. In his experience of people who are not vaccinated,
2: yeah, this is very anecdotal. But an old, very old friend of mine is a doctor here in Sacramento, and he said at this point, the people that are getting really, really, really sick, in his experience, are 100% the non-vaccinated people. It's people that are uh, have not gotten the vaccine, and people that are vaccinated are coming into the hospital sometimes, but they're not nearly as sick. And for the most part. They're going home unless they're, you know, extremely old or have some yeah. other real extreme health problem. But uh, but the people that are otherwise healthy coming in and they're extremely sick with COVID, he said that in his experience at this point, it, it's 100% unvaccinated yeah. people. I mean, you don't want it, you know, yeah, don't true. get me wrong. Having just had it, uh, I felt really crappy. For, there was a few days there where I really felt crappy. Yeah. Um, and, and then again, I did take the Paxlovid. Yeah. So maybe that staved off it getting any worse. But uh, but anyway, I don't know who that makes. Is it uh, is it Dr. Mark Galley, uh, who we're yeah. going to choose as the worst week? I don't know.
0: Yeah, Dr. Well, Dr. Mark Galley, statewide health guy. Yeah, his wife is the county wide health person down in LA, so I guess they get it at home from both. They're getting a couple of different perspectives there.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, Carmela Coyle is president of the California Hospital Association. we not thrilled so with this. I'm yeah. sure I'm sure she's hearing from her members now. That th- the hospitals have had the worst roller coaster ride through this whole thing. I think they're jammed to to a capacity Then they don't have, they're lacking, you know, people taking up their beds, which is good for everybody except for them. They put all that money into getting the beds and building them and expanding. Then when they scale back a little bit, they get more. People come in and jam them to capacity. So if you're a health official in California, um, at least in LA and probably San Francisco too, but elsewhere in the state, uh, you've had a pretty bad week and, like, we sa- like I said earlier, it's going to get worse, I think.
2: Well, and, you know, we are skating a little bit. We did talk about Ken Cooley, who had oh, yeah. a pretty yeah. darn crappy week. Uh, yeah. You know, I think he was, uh, you know, he, he had the spending advantage. He yeah. was a Dem in what had been a somewhat comfortable Dem district. Yeah. was redistricting changed that, and he has conceded. And, uh, you know, I, I think Ken probably had a pretty crappy week. We like Ken. We've met him before. Yeah, he,
0: yeah I like him too, man. Uh, and the good thing for him is he I don't think he had COVID. So. Yeah. There you go.
2: Okay. But he so, had a
0: bad week anyway. You know? yeah. so, uh, so that ought to do it. Tim Foster, thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. This is John Howard, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.
2: The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast
1: is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.